Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the True Blue Crime Investigates podcast. My name is Dan, and as always, I will be your host for this episode. After today's episode, I will be doing my first international unsolved episode before my CrimeCon 2023 break. There's a lot of prep work before the conference, so I'll be taking a short break from podcasting until I'm ready to go. If I have the time, I likely do a couple episodes of True Blue Crime before making the drive from Minnesota to Florida next week. As soon as I get back home, I'll be motivated to start my new podcast schedule, and there'll be plenty of new content as fall approaches. Let's quick cover the business side of things before we get into today's episode. If you'd like to get updates about what the podcast is up to, please like and follow the True Blue Crime Productions Facebook page. More information can be found at the show's website at truebluecrimeproductions.com. And if you'd like to email me directly, my email is truebluecrimeproductions at gmail.com. If you can, please support the show via Patreon or PayPal. Links to make donations are on the website at truebluecrimeproductions.com. Any donation level helps, and it'll help ensure I can keep making free episodes of the podcast and expand the podcast in the future. Any donations will receive a shout-out in a future podcast, a thank-you message from the host, and some cool True Blue Crime merch. For no cost whatsoever, please rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening to it on. Thanks so much, without any further ado, let's dive into this episode of True Blue Crime Investigates. True crime can present itself in many different ways. Any death, especially if the deceased is a child or young adult, is a tragedy, and the family deserves to know what happened. Sometimes the circumstances around the death can be so tragic and the loss is so emotional that people have a hard time believing the outcome of an investigation. Today's episode is just such a case. The loss of a young life in such a bizarre and tragic fashion has many people still asking questions. While law enforcement considers this case closed and a non-criminal incident, the family of Kendrick Johnson strongly disagrees with the findings. We will discuss Kendrick's story, the official findings, and the struggle some are still experiencing when it comes to this heartbreaking loss. This is the story of Kendrick Johnson. Kendrick Johnson was born on October 10, 1995, and was attending Lowndes High School in Valdosta, Georgia in 2013. On January 10, 2013, at 1.27 p.m., Kendrick was seen running into the high school gym, and sadly, this was the last time he was seen alive. The following day, on January 11, 2013, students climbing on rolled-up wrestling mats in the back corner of the gym came across a terrible discovery. Inside one of the rolled-up mats, they could see what looked like human feet inside a socks a foot or so into the rolled-up mat. The gym teacher knocked the mat over, and inside the rolled-up mat was the body of Kendrick Johnson. He was clearly deceased, and the mystery surrounding his death had begun. This is a highly emotional and divisive case, mainly because of the race of Kendrick and some of the other students involved as well as law enforcement. Kendrick was a black teenager attending a school in the southern United States. As I've covered in my True Blue Crime podcast, it was only 60 years ago that members of law enforcement actively helped groups like the Ku Klux Klan hunt down people of color and anyone who supported the civil rights movement. These are fresh memories, and there are many people alive today who lived through those terrible times. As recently as 2021, the state of Georgia reported 210 hate crimes against people, and 164 of those were based on the person's race. So while we have made many improvements in society, hate and bigotry still exist, and it creates apprehension when it comes to cases like Kendrick's death. 
Battle lines were drawn very early in this case. While many believed from the very beginning that this included foul play, based on some truths and a lot of rumors, others looked at it more logically and believed it to be a tragic accident. I struggled with how to present this case because I think with all we know at the current time, it's a little harder to understand the emotions and the rumors that surrounded this case when it was brand new. So I'll explain what was being said at the time of the incident, and later on we'll discuss the final report and its findings, and then you can decide what you want to believe in this case. After Kendrick was found, news spread quickly throughout the high school community that Kendrick had a long-standing feud involving two brothers, who happened to be sons of an FBI agent. The two brothers were white, and one was older, and the other was Kendrick's age. According to the rumor mill, Kendrick and the younger brother had gotten into a shoving match on a bus in a football game when they were both freshmen. The altercation wasn't seen as a big deal, but their punishment was that they had to sit out for the game and were not allowed to ride the team bus home. The optics of what happened next are just more fuel for the fire. The younger brother's parents had attended the game and gave their son a ride home. Kendrick's parents were not able to attend the game, so Kendrick had to ride home with a school resource officer, which is a police officer assigned to the school. Again, this wasn't done by design, but doesn't look good from an outside view. And before we kind of explain a lot about how these rumors spread and, and what was said in these rumors, I think it's important to go over the truths of this incident because I think otherwise you build this picture in your mind of, of stuff that's going on that, that really wasn't. Again, it's, it's very difficult to cover this case because there's a lot of stuff known now that when this case was first reported, they almost look like two very different cases. So first off, there was an altercation between Kendrick and this boy, and I will not be naming the sons of this FBI agent because there have been several defamation lawsuits filed by the family against media that has covered this case. Now, I don't disagree with one of the lawsuits because what was reported, and we'll talk about it later, was found to be very, very one-sided journalism, and in, in some cases, it actually reached the level of defamation. But I'm just going to be careful and not name these boys. I'm just going to refer to them as the sons of the FBI agent, the brother, younger brother, however it might be. But it is true that in 2011, so 14 months before this incident, the younger brother and Kendrick were on a bus trip from their homeschool high school to an away football game. And this is a regular school bus as far as I could tell, so it does not have a bathroom on it, and this younger brother needed to go to the bathroom. So his teammates convinced him to urinate in, I think it was a Gatorade bottle, something like that, because the bus isn't going to pull over for one kid to go to the bathroom. And this is what stupid teenage type of stuff that goes on. So while this guy is going to the bathroom in this Gatorade bottle, apparently, according to other students, football players on the bus, Kendrick purposely kicked the back of the seat that this kid was sitting in, which caused him to urinate on himself some while he's trying to go in this Gatorade bottle, which, of course, is going to draw all types of laughs and making fun of this kid for peeing on himself. This, this kid gets so upset, he turns and starts to throw punches at Kendrick. Kendrick starts to throw punches back. Players and eventually coaches separate the two of them, and their punishment is that they don't get to play in the game, and they can't ride the team bus home because the coaches don't want to put up with it, 
And as I said, it's just unfortunate that when you look at it after the fact, you've got this kid's parents are at the game, so they're able to give him a ride home in their personal vehicle. Kendrick is now at an away facility, isn't allowed to ride the bus home, and his parents aren't at the game and can't come get him. So the option that they come up with is riding home in this police car. Now, granted, it said he rode in the front seat of the police car with the school resource officer. It wasn't like he was under arrest, wasn't like he was in the back of the, the police car. But still, it's just the optics of the white kid rides home with his parents, the black kid goes home in a police car is, is going to set the stage for it to not look as if the, the, the two boys are treated the same. However, as I mentioned, that altercation occurred in the fall of 2011, which was 14 months before Kendrick was found in the wrestling mat. And the mother of this boy, the, the one that was peeing in the bottle, got in the altercation with Kendrick, said she would have offered a ride home to Kendrick if she knew that he didn't have one, and that her son and Kendrick got along fine after the altercation, and that the boys had hung out together at her house and even did a class project together between that incident and Kendrick's death. And yes, this is common for teenage boys. I can remember getting into fights with guys that I was friends with at one point, then something stupid happened, and you get a either physical fight or a verbal fight or whatever it might be with this, this guy, and a few months later, you're back to being good friends and hanging out. It just, it happens. The picture that was painted after Kendrick's death was that there was this long-standing feud and that there was also allegations that Kendrick might be, might have been messing around with this kid's girlfriend. Again, the rumor mill, as we're going to talk about here shortly, goes crazy after Kendrick's death. And it all centers around this speculation that there's some type of a, a foul play involved in Kendrick's death. And in reality, if you take away all of the rumors and the gossip and all that kind of stuff, this, this, and again, this is according to the mother, and I don't think we get anything from Kendrick's family about this, but the mother, at least, of this boy is saying, no, Kendrick and my son, actually, they made up from that whole altercation on the bus. They were friends. They did a school project together. Kendrick had gone over to their house since then, so there didn't appear to be this long-standing feud that people said there was. But the rumor mill on social media works fast, and soon there are rumors that the two white kids had conspired to kill Kendrick. And this was also fueled by the fact their father was an FBI agent, and the rumors went as far as to say the father told the boys to take care of Kendrick because of the incident. So again, this is a very unfortunate death, You've got a sophomore in high school who dies, is found deceased at the school. Emotions are going to be high, but so is the rumor mill. So is social media at this time. And now you've got this connection. You've got race involved, white kids, black kid. And you've got a father who's a law enforcement official, a federal law enforcement official. And so people jump to this. And, and again, this is how rumors work in high school. One kid tells another kid something. That kid, when they tell the next kid, they add a little bit to it to make it more salacious. And then somebody else adds a little bit more to that. And, and, and eventually you go from, hey, maybe so-and-so killed Kendrick to so-and-so's father is an FBI agent and he told the two boys to kill Kendrick. And again, this is how gossip works. This is how rumors work. This is how speculation works. But... The fact that the FBI wasn't involved in the case right away 
made it so that it that wasn't juicy enough. So rumors soon began to spread that the son of the sheriff, whose department was investigating Kendrick's death, might be involved, and that the supposed son also attended the school. So not only do you have a conspiracy possibly involving the FBI and these two white kids, now you've got this son of the sheriff who's supposedly attending the school. But the thing was, the sheriff actually had to go to social media and tell people, I do not have a son, so I do not have any sons attending this high school. My department is investigating this as independently as it can. There's no truth to the fact that I've got a son that might be involved in this incident. So again, it wasn't salacious enough to have this FBI agent because at the time this isn't going to be investigated as a hate crime. It's just going to be looked at as a suspicious death involving a student. It's up to the local sheriff's department. There's no reason in the beginning to get the FBI involved. So really, this FBI agent isn't going to be investigating this case involving potentially his sons. So people realized that and went, well, if there's not a conspiracy there, let's create a conspiracy. So again, tons of rumor, speculation. A lot of that fueled off emotion, a lot of that fueled off the rumor mill that exists in high school already. And meanwhile, the Sheriff's Department actually had this death to investigate. And during their investigation, it was discovered that Kendrick and another male student shared a pair of gym shoes. And this was common practice for students that shared shoes to hide them in the wrestling mats and retrieve them before gym class. An investigative theory began to emerge that Kendrick had tried to retrieve the shoes, and since the mats had been placed vertically against the wall, and his shoes were in one of the most inner mats, he tried to reach down into the mats, and his body weight trapped his entire body into the core of the vertical mat. From that position, upside down, and with all of your body weight being pulled to the floor by gravity, and with no leverage, it would be almost impossible, if not impossible, to remove yourself from that position. The mats themselves, as well as Kendrick's body, would have severely muffled or even completely muted any cries for help from Kendrick. So I wrestled in middle school, and so I'm pretty familiar with these wrestling mats. If you're not familiar with a wrestling mat, it is like a thick, thick rug that's padded. It's very hard to describe, but these are very, very heavy material that's made to be rolled out onto a gym floor and then it provides padding for when a wrestler is thrown or dropped or somehow ends up hitting the floor hard instead of hitting a wood basketball floor you're landing on this mat they're not like soft and spongy to the point that you know if you step on it your foot's going to sink all the way down to the wooden floor they've got a lot of weight behind them so Yes, they're forgiving, and actually if you walk on them, they are a little bit spongy, but if you slam into them, it just, they're built to absorb that shock. And they're very heavy, and when they're rolled up, and they usually have a, a strap around them to keep them from uncoiling, when they're rolled up, they are pretty much set into that position because of their weight and because of this cord that's wrapped around them. And so if you can picture make yourself small enough to go into a roll of paper towels. The, the, when it's rolled up, you have this core in the center. And the theory is that Kendrick's shoes that he needed to get were at the bottom of this, and we'll talk about why they're in the bottom, but are in the bottom of this vertically rolled up mat. And so he reaches down, tries to get to them, and 
decides he's going to shimmy his body into it a little bit to try to be able to reach further and eventually he gets to the point where he's completely vertical he's in this core it's said to be about a foot and a half to two feet wide so just wide enough for somebody's shoulders to to enter but then get wedged into this opening and eventually again in that position you can't push off from the bottom and you have no real leverage to get yourself you can't it's not like you can wiggle back out the top you're going against gravity at that point you're in a vertical upside down position with no leverage and and again even this is 137 that he goes in there so this is probably close to the last hour of the day and so if there wasn't a gym class in that gym the likelihood of somebody coming into that gym and being able to hear his cries for help is going to be severely limited if he can even make much sound at all to carry outside of these wrestling mats and the school was filled with security cameras so many cameras that the total number of hours of relevant security footage was said to be 290 hours worth from 35 cameras that covered the area around the gym sadly the one gym camera that covered the area of the wrestling mats were had been knocked out of position by a ball over a year prior so the actual incident was not recorded so this this entire case this entire controversy around this case would have been solved if this camera had been realigned but unfortunately this is a camera inside of a gym at some point an errant ball or maybe even purposely somebody had thrown something at this camera and knocked it off its alignment so it wasn't pointed into the corner like it was supposed to be again if that was the case and this recording existed i think this would have been a, an open and shut case but because this doesn't exist this just added to a lot of the conspiracy theories out there about somebody purposely turned the camera before this event so that whatever happened to kendrick wouldn't be recorded there's again a lot of rumors about that a lot of speculation and the school had to come out and say our bad that's been out of alignment for a year and nobody's fixed it which would have been confirmed by going back through further footage to show that you know, for, for over a year the recordings would have been pointed in the wrong direction so it's not something that the school can just say it's something that can be proven when the footage was compiled investigators realized they were missing about three and a half hours of footage from two of the cameras and again many pointed to this as part of a cover-up but it was later analyzed by several news media outlets including cnn and they found the cameras were not synced to each other and what appeared to be missing footage was either the result of the different timestamps and the fact the cameras were motion activated and would go into a sleep mode until someone moved within their sensor range. So when they first looked at it, they thought they were basically getting a redacted version of the recordings. They would see that times didn't match up. They would see that there was missing time from these recordings. And of course that fueled more conspiracy and cover-up theories about well what are we missing from that time period and that's when they were able to go back and say okay well this camera isn't synced to the same exact time that this one is so this is why there's a difference in time and that these cameras are motion activated so there can be after a certain amount of time they shut off so you're not wasting recording space when there's nothing going on and then they'll kick back on when somebody comes within the light sensor and so this this quote-unquote missing footage is actually just footage that would have never been recorded because nothing was going on and ultimately these security cameras were 
used to show that the two brothers accused of plotting to harm Kendrick were not in the vicinity of the gym at the time he entered and likely tried to retrieve his shoes. During the investigation, the family attorney for the two brothers advised the family to not have the boys do inter interviews with law enforcement. The lawyer said that there was clear evidence the brothers were not near Kendrick when he entered the gym and there was no reason for them to talk to investigators. And I think this falls across the theories of when you have lie detector tests. We've talked about these in the past. A lie detector test, even if you're innocent, doesn't help you a ton. It can't be used in a court of law. And if somehow you are nervous and it, the results are inconclusive or somehow show deception, even though you know you're not lying, that can turn the investigation against you. So it really doesn't help. And I think that's what the attorney here is saying is, why subject two teenage boys to experienced law enforcement investigators that could get them to trip up, could get them to say something that makes them look like suspects when we have clear evidence that they're not involved, that they're not near Kendrick at any point, that they don't go into the gym at any point. It's one of those things where they can't, they couldn't have been there, they couldn't have caused the harm to Kendrick. So at what point is, is having law enforcement talk to these boys, does that help the situation? It can really only hurt them. Is that, at least that's how the lawyer is seeing it. Of course, from the court of public opinion, that's not going to look good, and that's always the case, but these lawyers are going to weigh out, is it better to have people just questioning why we wouldn't talk to them, or would it be worse to have one of the boys slip up during an interview, say something they didn't really mean or get trapped into a lie that, that really doesn't matter, but now they're lying and now they look like they're guilty type of a situation. And one of the brothers accused by Kendrick's family of killing his son had left school that day for a wrestling tournament. The bus left one hour before Kendrick was seen alive, and this was confirmed via the bus driver, the coach, students on the bus, cell phone data, and evidence from the hotel when the bus arrived later that afternoon. And again, this was something that early on, I guess, when administrators, or in this case, wrestling coaches, want to do these away trips, they have to file paperwork months in advance saying, you know, we want to take our students out of school, we got to arrange a bus, we got to arrange hotels, all this kind of stuff. And on the original application, I think it said something about the bus was going to leave at 4 p.m. that day. And we know from earlier that Kendrick went in the gym at 1.30. So originally when I think investigators came back and said it couldn't have been this older son because he was at a wrestling tournament, somebody found this paperwork and said, no, the bus left at four that day, so it could have been him. Well, the school district came back and said, no, when people put down the request, they just put down an estimated time they think they're going to want to leave. And we've got records that this bus left at 1230 that day which is, again, was over an hour before Kendrick was seen on camera walking into the gym. So a lot of this comes down to viewing things however you want them to look for your side, but when the facts come through on this case, we'll see again and again that there's, there's solid evidence that points to these two boys not being involved. However, that didn't stop Ebony Magazine from using quotes in an article about the case that they attributed to the boys' non-existent interviews with police. But in reality, it was other students talking about the brothers. And the family ended up suing Ebony Magazine for defamation and was awarded $500,000. So basically, I didn't read the Ebony story. I don't even know if it's still available. 
probably not because of this defamation lawsuit, but the way the article I read talked about this magazine article was it basically directly attributed quotes to these two sons of this FBI agent that were never said. It was basically they used other students to try to claim that these boys said something at some point uh, during those 14 months between this altercation on the bus and when Kendrick died. And this fit the narrative that Ebony Magazine was trying to say that these boys could have been involved in Kendrick's death, but in reality it was just really terrible slanted journalism that was trying to paint a picture using quotes that didn't exist to make it look as if the boys were guilty. And they used pseudonyms for the boys, but the pseudonyms were so close to what the boys' actual names were, it wasn't very difficult for anybody to figure out who they were talking about. And this caused a whole bunch of death threats to the family. This caused tons of issues for the family, which is why they ended up suing Ebony Magazine and countersuing a lot of these lawsuits we're going to talk about. And it got so bad for this family that their house was even raided by the U.S. Attorney's Office in 2015, despite there being no evidence of any involvement in the death of Kendrick Johnson. And this brings me to what I always tell people about cases like this, which is wait for the facts. I completely understand the suspicions and the disbelief surrounding Kendrick's death. I understand the conclusions drawn from a pre-existing issue between high schoolers and then the fact that one ends up dead on school property. That's all human nature. So again, I'm not saying that people who jump to these conclusions are monsters or are absolute idiots or whatever it might be. It's not the personal belief or the gut feelings that people have that I have an issue with. It's the magazine articles in Ebony Magazine. It's the lawsuits that are going to come out before all the facts are out. It's all that kind of stuff that when people jump to those conclusions and go to the media or are the media themselves without having all the facts, they're trying to write stories to fit their own narrative, their own beliefs before the facts are out, that's what I have the issue with. That being said, I also understand the distrust of law enforcement in this case, especially in the South. If you have a black teen and you involve family of law enforcement that's white, it gets very difficult to hold back opinions and implications. And and that's what I mentioned before early on. This is not a new issue. This is a deep-seated issue. This has been going on for decades and centuries in the South crimes that are committed against people of color, covered up by law enforcement, politicians, judges that were white in the past. And so it's not as if the entire situation itself is beyond belief. It definitely could be a situation. I'm just saying that people jumped to that so quickly and didn't wait for the true facts to come out about the case. And then when the facts did come out, They still continue to not believe the most basic of facts, especially the case of the older brother not even being on the high school campus at the time Kendrick dies or is is, is still seen alive, I should say. It, It caused a lot of people to still stand by what they believed in in light of the facts that were presented. But cases like this are not solved by opinions and innuendos. They are solved by cold, hard facts. And to arrive at the facts in a case like this, we have the security footage, the death investigation scene, and the autopsy. 
We've discussed the security footage. It shows Kendrick walking into the gym and not walking back out. And it doesn't show any known suspect going into the gym before him or after him. There's rumors that he was lured into the gym by the girlfriend of the younger son of this FBI agent that she told him to meet her in the gym and then this is when he got jumped by the the son of the FBI agent and killed and then stuffed into this wrestling mat that was the story that was spread pretty quickly afterwards and investigators did look into all this I'm going to give them credit they definitely did their due diligence looking in they they went through the cell phones of these uh, sons of the FBI agents they went through the cell phone of this girlfriend of the son of the FBI agent there was no communication between her and Kendrick so pretty much any rumor that was spread they found evidence according to the research that I did they found evidence to indicate that there was no connection there that as far as law enforcement can tell via the videos and all of the interviews Kendrick went in there to get his gym shoes and there was an unfortunate accident and the scene itself is, was actually very straightforward and when the other student had stored the shoes in the wrestling mats it had been before winter break it is believed the mats were laying down in a horizontal position and it would have been easy for kendrick to grab the shoes if the scene had remained that way but over winter break more mats had been rolled up and the mat with the shared shoes was stood vertically and pushed to the back of the now grouping of vertical mats so picture in your mind originally this mat is probably one of three or four mats that are in the corner of this gym. The long-standing practice is the kid that Kendrick shares the gym shoes with puts the shoes into this rolled up mat. You can't see them unless you're looking directly down this mat. Normally Kendrick would just reach down, reach into this mat that's laying on the floor and grab out the shoes, change, and he's ready for gym class. However, because that last one was done over winter break, at some point over winter break, likely janitors had come along, or maybe the wrestling team or whatever it was, had rolled up more mats, and in order to not take up more space on the floor, maybe they were doing some cleaning of the gym because it was winter break, instead of the mats laying down, these are six-foot mats, and so instead of the mats laying down on the floor, and, and you get to a point where you can only pile them up so high, you can create more space by putting them vertically in a vertical position now instead of having these mats sticking out each individual mat sticking out six foot from the wall out into the floor area you can jam a whole bunch of mats because this was one of the bigger mats and again it was probably about three feet in diameter once it's rolled up with a core of about a foot and a half in the middle there's a bunch of smaller mats too so you could put I think it was something like 14 to 15 mats in the space that three or four mats were taking up before by putting them vertically. So sometime over winter break, somebody had put these mats vertically, which caused the shoes that were in those mats to slide to the bottom. And so now instead of just being a couple feet in horizontally, Kendrick reaches in and grabs the shoes. The shoes are now six foot deep down into this opening in the in the vertical mat and he's trying to figure out a way to reach them and it was said that the mats had often gotten moved from a horizontal to a vertical position but if that was the case the mat was usually on the edge and Kendrick could just knock the mat over so now it's in a horizontal position again reach in grab his shoes 
and if you wanted to you could put the mat back up into a vertical position afterwards but because these other mats have been moved in front of the mat he was, was going to have to move two or three mats just to knock down this one mat he's in a hurry he probably thought it would be easier just to climb up there and reach down and, and retrieve these shoes and this is made easier by the fact there's some bleachers that are next to these mats and so the top of these bleachers from the top of these bleachers one could just go across the top of these mats and reach down into them and as i mentioned before if that mat's sitting six feet down if it's sitting on the floor at the bottom of the vertical mat most people's arms even if you're over six feet tall are going to limit your reach to about three three and a half maybe four feet if you've got really long arms but you're going to be somewhere in that usually that three foot reach and anything further is going to require you to actually enter into that void with your body so now in order to clear that extra two three feet that you need to get down to where those shoes are you're going to have to enter with your head and eventually your shoulders and eventually you're going to have to be almost you probably have to go past your waist and i can imagine that kendrick was the normal person would still kind of lay across the top of the mats but just have their torso in there but even at that point with his waist out of the mats he probably still couldn't reach the shoe so he just thought well if i just need a couple more inches and just kind of wiggle my waist into here but at that point at some point i should say you're going to get to a point where you can no longer leverage yourself back out of those mats and if as soon as those that waist clears all of your weight just pushes you to the bottom of that six foot core you're not getting back out and I, I think that's honestly what happened here with Kendrick and the final facts of this case arrive from the autopsies conducted on Kendrick the first autopsy was done at the behest of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation on January 14th of 2013 three days after Kendrick was found deceased Based on the death investigation and the autopsy, the pathologist ruled that Kendrick died of positional asphyxia and his death was ruled an accident. And then this next thing that happened, I fully support. The family requested their own autopsy be conducted. I have zero problems with that whatsoever. The family not trusting law enforcement, they want their own opinion. And so they go to this pathologist, private pathologist, to do an autopsy on Kendrick's body. And this was unfortunately after the body was buried so it needed to be exhumed and this was after the body was embalmed as well and this occurred on june 15 2013 and it would take the pathologist two months to complete his report after the autopsy and then a month later according to one report the body had to be exhumed a second time and then this pathologist added an addendum to his original report claiming that he found blunt force trauma to the right throat area of Kendrick and this is going to be a big deal a lot of people early on reported this potential bruising on the right side of Kendrick's face and this is going to get very morbid but when somebody dies and is left in a position for a long period of time after a certain amount of time they experience what's called lividity and lividity is based the blood pooling from gravity. You no longer have the heart pumping blood through the body. There's no blood pressure left per se. It's all being pulled upon by the forces of gravity. So if somebody's laying on their back and that's the position they're found in after an extended period of time after death, the blood is going to have pooled 
to their back. So you should expect to see what's very similar to bruising because bruising is just a rush of blood to that area while somebody's alive. It discolors that area. And so it'll look like their entire back is, is bruised. It'll be a, like a dark purplish color. Now, if somebody is, at some point that blood settles and stays that way. So if you come across somebody who has lividity on their back, but they're laying on their stomach, you know somebody at some point rolled that person over on their stomach after lividity had set in. So when Kendrick is face down, literally in a upside down position, there's a good chance that this lividity could be pooling against the, a certain part of his body. And in this case, all of the blood is gonna be rushing to his head and his throat area. And if that opening is large enough where his head actually came to the bottom, because it was said when the gym teacher put the mat down horizontally, like half of Kendrick's body kind of, I don't say fell out, but was then exposed out the bottom of this wrestling mat. And that's from gravity, the pressure wanting the body to escape through this opening on the bottom. So if there's that much pressure, it likely was resting against a part of his head. And in this case, it could have been his right jawbone neck area. If you, if you see that and you're not familiar with what lividity is, you can think it's a bruise. You can think it's a potential blunt force trauma situation. So my guess is that was reported by some students that they saw some what they thought was bruising on the right side of his face. And then there's... I think an ambulance report that says there's possible bruising, but in reality, I think it's lividity. I think it's something from the positional asphyxia. I think it actually supports that theory more, but this private doctor hired by the family is going to look at any sign of blood pooling or whatever to that part of the face and, and call it blunt force trauma. And as a result of this change of findings, the U.S. Department of Justice eventually is going to get involved. And this is, again, it becomes a big issue. There's still a potential here, and I don't disagree. You have to rule out a hate crime. And there's still a potential for this to somehow have a relation, even if it's not the sons of the FBI agent. That doesn't mean that a hate crime didn't occur if it was another student. And so the, eventually the federal government is going to get involved. The Department of Justice is going to get involved in the investigation. It gets too big for this local sheriff to, to quote-unquote, be trusted by all of America. So the feds step in and they say, we're going to take a look at this. And when they see these two different autopsy results, they say, we're going to have a third autopsy done. So they send Kendrick's body, now exhumed, I think, a third time to the U.S. Arm, uh, US Army pathologist, and this doctor rules the cause of death to be positional asphyxia and the manner of death accidental. However, about a year later, an amended autopsy report was issued in 2016 that stated the cause and manner of death was undetermined. And this was based on a report given to the Department of Justice that included information that an ambulance crew member reported the day of Kendrick's body discovery, a possible bruise on the right side of his jaw, which again, I said, this is probably lividity and it's just being seen as, as a potential bruise. And so when this report gets sent to this doctor who originally said, I agree with the first doctor, this is positional asphyxia, it's an accidental death. He sees this and realizes just to cover my basis in case this is really blunt force trauma, I'm gonna not change it to be 
cause of death, blunt force trauma, and manner of death homicidal, I'm just going to change it to be undetermined. However, there were later allegations of inappropriate actions by the male army pathologist and a female member of the Department of Justice. An email exchange between the Department of Justice worker and a co-worker was found to include references to how, and this is direct quotes, she had to make him, referring to the army pathologist, feel like a man so he would be open to talking, end quote. And while the exact context of this phrase was never further investigated, at least from the articles I found, it does definitely appear to be a red flag. Those aren't words that are used very often to indicate anything other than some type of a non-professional arrangement between two people. I'll just leave it at that. But when Kendrick's body was examined by the private pathologist, and we'll go back to that second autopsy, it was found that the funeral home had stuffed his body with newspaper and his digestive organs were missing. And while this again raised red flags, the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, believed the organs were disposed of under normal procedures because they had already started the decomposition process. And the funeral home then admitted to stuffing the body with newspaper, which is a poor choice as they should have used cotton or some other filler, but it was not part of a cover-up. So Kendrick's family ends up suing the nursing home for this newspaper incident, and this missing organs become a big part of the case. They, they're screaming that this is part of a cover-up, and and I, you know, I can kind of see where they're coming from on that. Obviously, the their own pathologist doesn't get to look at the, these organs to see if there's any damage to them. But according to the GBI, they're pretty decomposed at this point, so they're not really of any good, and they're not going to hang on to decomposing organs. So they get rid of them. That's part of their regular procedure. Again, it's just another thing that raises questions, and I can understand why some people look at that and say, you know, there's, this causes red flags the other way. There's, this is pointing towards a, a bit of a cover-up. And the legal actions in this case quickly grew out of control. While the DOJ was investigating the case, several lawsuits were filed by both sides. As I mentioned before, the family of the two boys won their lawsuit against Ebony Magazine, and eventually they're going to be awarded punitive damages in a lawsuit against Kendrick's family. And it wasn't so much Kendrick's family, it was the lawyer, and I'm not going to name him, but he's a pretty high-profile lawyer that represents a lot of these types of cases. And I'll talk about it at the end, but I definitely feel like that was the driving force behind this entire thing, and that the courts got it right by saying this lawsuit has no evidence, it's frivolous, and there's people who have had to spend their own money to protect themselves and i'm hoping that the the punitive damage went, went against this lawyer for pushing this case and it didn't affect kendrick's family as much eventually the main lawsuits against the school sheriff's department fbi gbi and the family of the two boys were dropped and this is partially because under deposition kendrick's father could not point to a single piece of evidence that implicated anyone in the murder of his son this was, I think, released, I don't know if it's part of the final report or if I read it in an article somewhere, but basically you had, as part of the deposition, you've got the, the lawyers that are representing the people who are being sued by the Kendrick family asking Kendrick's father what evidence he has specifically, what can he point to, a single piece of evidence that shows that his son was murdered and that it would have been the fault of 
the sheriff's department, the school, the family of these two sons, anything along those lines. And Kendrick's father keeps re responding with, well, I have evidence. And they kept asking him, you have to state specifically what that evidence is. This is a deposition. You have to release that information to us. And, and eventually his final phrase is something in fact of, I have no evidence whatsoever that I can point to. And I think that was kind of the reality of this case is that again, I understand the emotional investment, the, the, the loss of, of a young man, how difficult that has to be for the parents. And with all these other rumors and speculations running around and they're hearing all of this, this stuff through social media and reading these newspaper articles, these magazine articles that are telling them almost word for word that their son was murdered. I, I don't blame the family for how they felt after this. But I think at the end of the day, it became very clear that all of these rumors and these innuendos, these speculations, these narratives pushed by the lawyers and the media and, and were found to have no basis of evidence. It was all made up or twisted facts to fit a narrative. And as a result, that's why the, the case went the way that it did. And again, I mentioned I don't agree with their choice of a lawyer, and I definitely feel like there was a rush to grab money by this lawyer before all the facts of the case were out there. And the final report, which was filed by the new sheriff of the investigating county, so a man who was elected and vowed to reopen the case in 2021, his report was filed in January of 2022. So he had agreed to open up this case Part of his election promises, he told the, the people of this county, I wanna look at the Kendrick Johnson case again. I'm a brand new sheriff. I don't have any ties to the people that investigated this back in 2013 when it happened. So I will look at it with fresh eyes, open up the case file and reinvestigate this entire thing. So he spends a year doing this and he finds not only was there no evidence of any crime against Kendrick, but there's plenty of evidence of improper actions by various federal agencies and agents. And so he compiles this report and the last couple pages of his report are absolutely just destroying the federal investigation and, and the way people acted. And he, so for example, his investigation found that in some cases, witnesses were offered money in exchange for their testimony. He also looked at an instance where a witness was not interviewed because his testimony would not help the government case. And these are examples of a guided investigation with an intended outcome instead of fact-finding mission investigation is supposed to be. And we've talked about cases before that, as in the yogurt shop murders, there's evidence that supports that, the, the in the case of the yogurt shop murders, that the gun that was found on the teenager a couple days after the murders was not the murder weapon but investigators worked very hard to keep that out of the trial against these young men because that, those facts didn't fit the narrative they were trying to tell the jury. And it's the same thing here. You can't omit facts. You can't omit witness testimony that doesn't support your theory of what happened and still arrive at the truth of what happened. An investigation is supposed to be a fact-finding mission. It's not supposed to ignore facts or pay people to, to provide testimony or anything like that. Two letters from the United States Attorney's Office for the Middle District of Georgia were located in the case file. In one, an attorney was on the first-name basis with a reporter for Ebony Magazine, the same magazine that would later lose their lawsuit related to this case, and another indicated the attorney 
wanted to become famous for this case. So you're seeing some federal prosecutors that are taking a personal interest, whether it be via this relationship with this magazine or in an attempt to make themselves famous via this case. So again, facts don't help that. Facts get in the way of potentially them becoming famous or this newspaper or, or this magazine article. Search warrants such as the one conducted on the family of the two sons were filled with factual errors that if they had been omitted, the warrants would have never likely been approved by a judge. This likely includes information regarding the two boys who became suspects in this case, but were proven to not have had any contact with Kendrick that day, and security cameras confirmed they weren't near the gym. So when you're writing a search warrant, you're supposed to write all of the facts of the case, because a judge is supposed to determine if you have probable cause to, to conduct this search on the home. And if you put in this search warrant that the one son, the older son, he's already left the school an hour before this incident. There's nothing on the cameras saying that these guys had any contact with each other, that they'd had a good relationship since this fight. If you leave all that stuff out of the search warrant, but only put in there that there was a fight on the bus and there was rumors out there that this Kendrick was messing around with this kid's girlfriend, you can write the search warrant in such a way that the judge reads that and says, okay, based on what I'm reading the search warrant, there's grounds to search this person's house. But in reality, those aren't facts. They're, they're basing things off opinions. They're leaving facts out that didn't support the fact that these boys weren't involved. And the, the sheriff is reading the search warrants, these federal search warrants, and saying these should have never been issued. And they even came across a text message from an unknown source encouraging someone to lie while testifying. And whether this is from an attorney or a law enforcement official, encouraging someone to commit perjury is an offense itself and should have been investigated. You know, attorneys can tell their clients not to testify. They can tell them not to answer questions. What they can't do is they cannot tell their clients to lie as a part of the investigation or as, especially as part of testimony or deposition. If they're found out that the attorney knew the truth and told the client to lie and say something different, the lawyer can be disbarred for encouraging the perjury just as much as the person themselves can get in trouble for the perjury. And the same goes for law enforcement. They can't tell a witness to lie on the witness stand because they're basically in a conspiracy at that point to commit perjury with that person. So in conclusion, I believe this case is the classic rush to judgment and then try to make the facts fit the narrative. Whenever that happens, the tragedy of the situation gets lost in the battle over the truth. In this case, the reality is that the case is about the tragic death of Kendrick Johnson. A lot of anger and frustration about this case is justified. Just because, in my opinion, Kendrick wasn't killed because of his race does not mean that murders based on hate and bigotry do not exist. They do, and they need to stop, and this case at least gives us a chance to talk about it. I do feel bad for a lot of people in this case. I feel bad for Kendrick's family, for his schoolmates and friends, and I feel bad for the two boys and their family accused of a terrible crime they didn't commit. And I also feel bad for the people who saw this as an opportunity to make money or advance a career. And mainly I just feel bad for America because this should have been a case centered around the tragic loss of a promising young life and instead it became about money, greed, and power. And I hope at the end of this story we all take a second to remember a life lost too soon because that's what this story is about. This is the true story about the tragic death of Kendrick Johnson. 
Thank you guys for listening. Stay tuned for future episodes and feel free to write me at TrueBlueCrimeProductions at gmail.com. You can also find me at TrueBlueCrimeProductions on Facebook and support me via Patreon at TrueBlueCrimeProductions. So that's it for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later. Goodbye.